Well, that's how Allegra sings when her voice is crackling because it's tired. <laughs> Wonder what happens when she's rested. Actually, when you, I was thinking right even before she sang that, some of you might not be aware that uh, often on the weekend is uh, Allegra has just pulled two straight 12-hour shifts at a hospital, and so she gets uh, done uh, from a 6 to 6 in the morning uh, on, a, on a Saturday, then on a Sunday, comes here early. She volunteers to help with the first service, and then she leads us in the second service. So she's a little tired, but uh, I think that strength and power that flows from the blood is uh, working well. Uh, in her life. And hopefully when you hear a song like that, it's not only you're amazed at the beauty of it, but you realize that that's, that's something God has given us. And that's well, we ought to be uh, ready to go when we rec- recognize that we have the power to go. And we're going to be seeing that in the text this morning, is that God has given us enough strength to do whatever He wants us to do. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray as we look in Your Word this morning that You might really guide us to really not only hear it sung about, but believe that it can be resident in the life of any believer that, that loves you and knows you. That we, we are empowered to be the people you want us to be and to do the things you want your people to do. And we pray as we look at this, the examples in Scripture this morning, as we look about the truth about ministry, that truly we might see the applications and implications for us as well. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're on a series in the book of uh, the Gospel of Luke in which we're looking at the truth. And of course, that is, uh, that is true about anything in Scripture. It's, it's not about that which is false, it's that which is true. And, and Luke particularly wanted to emphasize that as he began his Gospel. And so he said, that's the purpose I'm writing this. Well, this morning uh, we see a particular emphasis on, on uh, what, it, what it means to do what God wants you to do. Now, you can describe that as ministry. Uh, that's kind of a religious word. You don't normally speak about that in too many different things out in the, in the culture we live in. But it's really about what is it, what is it all about to help people? What is it all about to, to be involved in service? What is it all about doing things that need to be done in the way that would honor God and accomplish His purposes in life? Well, we're going to see that this morning. And we're going to see that by way of example as we look about how Jesus uh, sent out uh, his disciples to do what he wanted them to do. Now with this, however, I, I just want to make this kind of uh, contextual beginning of, of this text, is that when you think about it in a couple of different ways, one is you think about the message getting out. Well, obviously when Jesus is here, he, he got it out pretty well, uh, but you need to recognize that when he sent out his followers, they, they didn't have some of the means by which we often we'll take for granted. Uh, we think if, if we need to get a message out, maybe we'll, we'll put it in the newspaper. Well, if we want to maybe get it on the airways, we might buy an ad on, on the radio or the television and people can, can hear it and possibly see it. Uh, we might say, well, let's put it in book forms or pamphlet forms. We'll just spread it everywhere we can. Uh, well, of course, social media is strong, and, and so let's just put it on Facebook or some other Instagram, and we'll let people interact with it uh, whenever they want to. The, the internet, it has so many ways you can communicate whatever message you want. But they had none of that. There weren't any newspapers. And, and really, books weren't, weren't really prevalent. That papyrus, you had that scroll that you would you'd unfold for people to read. Most people didn't have scrolls to read. They, they heard other people read from scrolls, but they didn't have their own copies. They were very costly and time-consuming 
to produce. And so, well, how did people get in the know? Well, it was all done pretty simply. It was all done by word of mouth. If there was something important, you, you told your neighbor, and then they, that neighbor told somebody you didn't know, and that person you didn't know that the neighbor knew, they told somebody that that other neighbor didn't know, and it just began to spread. And it's interesting, even in our culture where there's so many ways to get a message out or to draw people in to be excited about a product or a, a service that people want to provide for a certain amount of money, they'll spend a lot of money to, to kind of grab people's attention. But it has no sustaining power if the people who actually go to the film that wants you to go see or the, the product they want you to try to use, if somehow you don't become excited about it and the word of mouth gets out, you've got to go to this film. You've got to use this product. It will die on the vine. There are many organizations or institutions that spent millions of dollars to push a product that never went anywhere because after people tasted the food at that restaurant or, or wore that particular garment and they didn't like it, the word got out on the negative rather than the positive or it was just silence. And so as we think about how we can play the part of, of what happened in that first century where the world t- was turned upside down, it's, it's all about that we can spread it by, by word of mouth. That's how Jesus did it. But sometimes we don't do it, and let's be honest, why don't we, why don't we speak more about Jesus uh, than we do is because we think we, we can't do a good enough job. Or we feel somebody else can do a better job. Have you ever felt that way? Kind of raise your hand a little bit sheepishly that there's a few people you think might be able to do something better than you can do, and even in the, in the spiritual realm or the biblical realm. Well, think about the disciples. And the disciples, if you know much about the disciples, they weren't uh, particularly, at least from a human perspective, the cream of the crop. They weren't the, they weren't the, the people that were the, necessarily the scholars in their initial education in the rabbinic school. They, they weren't particularly the most successful in their industries. Uh, they had, some of them had some tainted past, and they were brought right out of that into the, into the fold of being in the top 12 that Jesus was imparting his life to. But as the ministry began, if you know about the kind of the, the trail of the life of Jesus, we, we know something about his birth, and then all of a sudden there's kind of some silent years, right? After 12, we go, well, what did Jesus do? And there's a purpose why he didn't give us all those details. But then all of a sudden, he arrives on the scene. Uh, John the Baptist baptizes him, and all of a sudden, he just explodes. And there's, there's all kinds of ministry going on. And, and we're right now, and this is interesting, it, 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 as far as the Gospel of Luke, we're, we're right in the middle of Jesus' public ministry. If you round it off to about three years, it's now been about 15 months, and now we've got about 15 months more to go, give or take. And for the first 15 months, for the first half of the time that Jesus was going to do what he was doing, he did it all. Who preached all the sermons that we've been looking at so far in the Gospel of Luke? Jesus. This is, this is the answer you can all answer back. Who did all the miracles? Who, who, healed every, who healed all the people that were sick? Who rose people from the dead? It was all Jesus. And you're thinking, that's, well, that's awesome. Jesus is doing it. And no one can do it any better than Jesus. I mean, he was attracting so many crowds that he, at times he had to get away because it was just it was, it was too much. If, if not for him, obviously he could endure it at all, at least from a supernatural perspective. On a human perspective, he needed to rest and, and, and rejuvenate himself. But his disciples were getting worn up just watching. 
But now, but now Jesus is going to, he's going to change the whole way he's doing it. Because now it wasn't going to be only him preaching sermons. It wasn't only him meeting people's needs. It was going to be the disciples sent out. And, and what I want to look at this morning, and, and some will describe the Bible this way in terms of when you read the words, you know, in this big book. Some things are prescriptive and some, people, some things are descriptive. I want to explain that. Prescriptive is saying, thou shalt, you will, this is, this is what my plan and will is for your life, and it's, it's plain, direct, and there is no way to get around it. But God knows that we, we learn not only prescriptively or uh, definitively in bold, bullet statements, but he, we, we learn a lot by example. Would you agree with that? Sometimes when I read instructions, I can't quite figure them out, but if I can watch somebody else, what? do it, then maybe I can do it. Now YouTube is famous for that. They'll, they'll, they'll allow you to see how people do what they do, and you know, for some of us, we can now get it because it didn't make sense when I was reading it. Well, that's why God gives the pictures of how it was done, and then you say, well, okay, that's maybe how He wants me to do it as well. So this message is one that ho- hopefully is going to be challenging for all of us because He's saying, okay, you've been watching. <laughs> Now's the time to do it. You, you've, been on, you, you've heard about it, now I want you to get in the car. You've been getting the swimming lessons on, on, on the side of the pool, now you've got to get in the water and apply it to the point you can stay afloat and not sink. And, and the reality is, we need to understand this about God's program. When Jesus was here, He was the body of Christ. Would we agree to that? I mean, He was God become man, He had a physical presence. He was the body of Christ. He was Christ and he had the body, had a body. But when he left, he left a body as well. And it's not his body, it's what? It's our bodies. And they call that the church. So God has said, I'm not going to be doing all the sermons. I'm not going to be meeting all the needs. I'm not going to be going to the places where uh, the message needs to get out. I'm sending you the Christian life for them, or walking, following Jesus, was now going to be no longer a spectator sport. It was going to be them on the field, playing in the game, and competing for people's lives. Well, how are we supposed to do that? Well, let's kind of see it from a descriptive perspective, which by that I mean, let's, let's draw some principles by how Jesus worked with his group to say, okay, I want you to do it. Okay, let's, let's, uh, let's look at it this morning. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. And what I'm going to do is something maybe... I, I remember doing, writing this in a Bible study one time, and some people said, well, what do you mean by that? Have you ever seen where someone said, okay, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 1a. Have you ever anybody heard that? I want you to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 1b. And if you've never been in that terminology, you go, I look at... There's no B's in my verses. There's no A's in my verses. And if it's a long verse, they'll say, look at the C part of the verse. Well, there's dividing the verse in sections. And so what I want to do for the first two points is I want to divide the verse in a a section 1 and section 2, 9-1-A and 9-1-B, though I didn't put it in the outline that way. But let's see what we can learn. And we're going to kind of take off on one particular phrase to begin with. And we're going to draw principles and we're going to speed up in a moment. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, and Jesus had already done the miraculous, what's not left in the Luke account, he had been back, he went home, and he went home, and he presented the message, and his, his home crowd did not receive it very well, and in fact, they didn't want to believe in him, because they kept thinking, well, how can you really be the Christ? We've known you since you were 
you were a child, and uh, they just wanted more miracles, and so he left them. And, and now he comes back to this scene, and he's going he's gonna to do something with people, having them do what he's been doing. And he called the 12 together. That's 1A, and I'm going to stop right there. There's a comma there, but I'm going to put a period for a moment. And he called the 12 together. Now, if you've been in church settings for any length of time, sometimes you'll have uh, people who are, or I wouldn't call them young in the faith, but they're younger chronologically. They're not as old as I am, and, and they've been involved doing things in the church. And, and sometimes people will ask them, do, do, do you feel a call to the what? To the ministry. You ever heard that phrase? You, entire, I wonder, I, you might have a call to the ministry. Now, I understand what they mean by that, but... I want to I I tell you, when anyone comes into a relationship with God, they have a what? They have a call. They have a call to relationship, and then they have a call into a ministry. Now, what's the difference between people like me and people basically like you? Is I get paid for doing good, and you're all good for nothing, all right? <laughs> that, that's the only difference, all right? If you know Jesus, you have a call to ministry just like I have a call to ministry. It's just that as, as you lead the church, some, as the Apostle Paul would say later on, and actually Jesus did well, some were saying we're just going to set aside and we're going to have them do it for a living and we're going to be able to pay them where they can do that for a living. But we are all called to ministry. Well, what does that look like? Well, let's make some simple observation. When Jesus called, this particular call, he called how many? He called 12. Did he only, did he only have 12 people around him? No, he had many people around. But he's going to say, I'm going to talk to 12 of you for a moment. And I think what we're going to see is a principle, and this is how I put it in your outline. Uh, principle number one about ministry and what do we learn from the disciples and how they did is it is essential to know who is calling you. Now, they were about to be asked to do something they probably weren't going to be very comfortable doing. And if you're asked to do something you're not very comfortable or don't want to do, you can easily say what? No, right? Isn't that true? Uh, this is going to be a very simple message when we get into it. When people ask you to do something you don't want to do and they don't have any authority over you or you don't want to impress them at all, they ask you to do something and you simply say, no, I, I just don't, I don't feel, know if I really want to do that. I don't, I don't really feel that's for me. But if you know who's calling you, you might say, well, even though I don't want to feel it, I don't feel it, I don't want it, but he's asking me to do it, it, it's, it changes everything. So as we think our own lives, as we think about ministry, things God wants us to do, it's not a, that word ministry is not a, a mystical word, it's simply doing the things God wants you to do, it's serving and helping, it's using the things that God has wired you and gifted you for and doing it. And sometimes it's going to be the things you want to do, and some things it's going to be things you what? Don't want to do, right? Wouldn't, that, wouldn't we? Uh, that's part of life. Uh, yeah, okay. I could illustrate that in so many different ways, but I'm not, all right? Uh, it is essential that you know who is calling you and know that he's not calling everyone to be the same or to do the same. And, and the reason I get that in this text out of implication, he didn't call all of them, but he called 12, and he's about to tell them to do some things. And, and that's kind of a principle that's really throughout God's program. And we're going to see that as he gives instructions later on in God, his word for us about how the church, the body of Christ, is made up. If we had been there when Jesus was there, we wouldn't all have been in the 12, right? Would we agree with that? But these were. And so that was true then. Not everyone was the same back then, and not everyone's the same 
today, but we all have something in common. We, there's something God wants us to do, right? Now, let's look at a couple of passages that says that very plainly. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, he's talking about the church, and all the members do not have the same function, we don't all do the same thing, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We, we do life together. That's how the church is supposed to work. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, we have it stated this way. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but, but the same Spirit. That's what we have in common. We have the Jesus we have in common, the Spirit of God who lives within us in common. We have the same God the Father. Uh, and there are varieties of ministries. There are a lot of things the church is involved in or God's people are involved in. And the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects. God has different results that He produces because it's only what God does that really matters. But the same God who works all things in how many persons? All persons. And He's talking about people of faith. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, what's significant about that, and it's pretty simple, straightforward, but He said, each one. Now, we're talking about in the family of God. So, who does that include? Everyone, all of us. That's the common call he has given to each one of us who know him. There is something he wants us to do for the good of others, for the common good. And, and so the, the point I want us to all realize is that he has something for us to do, and that's what's called ministry. And it's not going to be the same for everybody. There are going to be some things that are common to us all. In fact, much of the message is going to talk about that. But whatever gifts and talents God has given you in the time frame you have, with the health you have, we all have something God wants us to, to say, what's my role? What's my part of the program? What's, what's my part in the plan? And if, if you're one, I, I don't know what that is. Well, then come to the leadership in the church, and we're going to try to do more and more things in this next year to, just to help you get that role, that responsibility, that, that, that ministry, that place of service so you can experience the joy of serving, and, and we can have more common good because we're, we're doing something that impacts people's lives. And it's, it's not as hard as we, as we make it, but somehow we just, we're just we're, we're thinking maybe I, I don't want to mess it up, so it's better for me to watch it happen rather than mess it up by doing something. Not, you can't mess it up. You just, you just do what God has gifted you and give you a heart for, for doing. All right, that's, that's 1A, all right? <laughs> What's 1B? Let's look at 1B. And, I, we won't go as slow in the verses as I'm starting out, but we'll, we'll get there, right? Then he goes on, he says, And he gave them power and authority uh, over all the demons and to heal diseases. Now, I'm just going to put this here. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later. He, he didn't give everyone that followed him the power to heal diseases and, and deliver those who had a demonic influence. Would we agree to that? Not, not the, all the people in the multitudes, all the larger uh, group of disciples, they didn't all have that power and authority to do it. But the ones he gave it to, they had that unique power and authority to do that. But what I want to say is whatever we are called to do in the ministries that are unique to us, because we're all unique, uh, but also the ministries we have in common, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, we realize that we have the power and authority to do it. And that's essential, isn't it? it you know, if, if, uh, if, if you were, when I, let's say when I had my, my four little, well, they used to be little, now they're big. But if I, if, 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 I, uh, if I had my four kids at home and they were misbehaving and you started, to, you know, to discipline them, and maybe they needed it, but I might ask you, what, what gives you the, what, 
you know, the, the right to discipline my kids. You might have the power. You're doing it to them. But, but I said, what gives you the right to discipline my kids? And he might say, well, you told me I could. <laughs> you were, I, hired, I, hired, I hired you as a babysitter. And I said, I gave you the right to, my kids need something. You can put them in timeout. I, I was back in the day, you could spank them. You can spank my kids. If, I, if you're babysitting my kids and they're not misbehaving, you just go ahead and spank them, right? I gave you that right to do that. But if somebody came off the street and said, hey, I'm spanking your kids, I'm going to think, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. These are my kids. I didn't give you the right to do that. And, and sometimes when we're in ministry, we're kind of intimidated because what, what are people going to think? What, gives you, what makes you think you're smarter than me? What makes you think you're more spiritual than me? What makes you know what, what's right for me? And, and, and really, when we come from our own authority, we can feel pretty intimidated. But when, we, when we're speaking into people's lives spiritually, who gives us the right to do that? The Lord does. And so when we do ministry, we need to realize that he gives us the right or authority to do what we do. But on the other end, that's the first word, that, the issue of power. Uh, we might say, well, I don't think I'm capable of doing that. And there are many times we're in situations that, ah, I don't think I can handle this. And, and if it's a situation that God has placed you in and a responsibility that God has given you, you need to realize not only you have the right to do it, but you have the power or ability to do it. And even if you don't have a lot of experience, he's saying, I, I, I'm giving you the ability to do this. And, and you will get better at doing it, but you've got to start. Isn't that true? And so as we think about ministry, look at the disciples' example. Number one, they realized they had a calling, and that calling was from Jesus. And the principle for us is we have a calling, too. He's called each of us to, into the ministry to do whatever he has gifted us and given us talents to do. And part of our challenge is find out what it is. And that can be a process, but we need to do that. Secondly, you need to realize when, when we get in that, into that role of doing what God wants us to do, I want you to understand, you, you have the right to do that. You have the authority to do that. You don't have to have to get a permission slip from the pastor. You, you've got it from God. You've got, you've got authority, and you've got, you've got power. And, and just to, get, to back that up, too, look at Acts 1.8, or listen as I quote Acts 1.8. In Acts 1.8, and, and this is where we get it wasn't just for these 12. Obviously, in the text here, it's just for these 12. But in Acts 1.8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. And, and this is the ministry we all have in common. All of us can be a witness. And you might ask yourself, well, how could that be? Because he's given you the power to be a witness. Now, we all don't have the gift of evangelism, but we all have the ability to give witness, to give testimony, to declare that we are Christians and explain it simply and clearly to other people. And when, when we feel inadequate, do you ever feel inadequate? Now, you can feel inadequate, but feeling inadequate, does that make you inadequate? That, that wasn't a trick question. If you feel inadequate, that does that automatically make you inadequate? No. Well, no. And so we say, okay, when you're feeling inadequate and you're feeling out of your comfort zone, I'm saying, I'm going to give you the ability, the power to represent me and to talk about me with other people. Just like in that first century. How did it get spread? It, was just, it, it, it spread by word of mouth. People just say, hey, I, you know, I, I once wondered if, I, if, if anybody could have a relationship with God. And then I met Jesus and I discovered you can have a relationship with God. As simple as that. I, once I thought, I've... I've committed so many sins, there's no way God could ever love me. And then I realized I could have my sins forgiven. I, you know, I once was lost, and now I'm, I once was blind, but now I, and, and it might not be physical things that God has done in your life, but I, I once was filled with fear, and 
I met Jesus, and I don't have a life filled with fear. I'm not saying I don't have you know, concerns and I get rattled at times, but I don't, I don't have the deepest fears I used to have because I, I know where I'm going. And, and he gives every one of us the ability to, in the simplest ways to, to be a witness to people we know in a relational way. You don't, don't make it complicated. Just make it simple. On Wednesday night, we were, we were talking about, we, we rehearsed our, our stories, our testimonies, but we looked at what is a simple way to explain the gospel. You can do it the ABCs, and we, we often use that in services here. Admit you're, you need to have a relationship with God, that there's something wrong in your life, and that's what the Bible calls sin. You need to believe. You need to believe that what's been said about Jesus is true, that he is God. He died on the cross and rose again. He paid the penalty for your sins. You, you, need, to, you need to see. You need to choose. You've you got to make a choice. You've got to commit to follow and believe in Jesus is really Lord and God and Savior. For a five-second presentation of the gospel, we, we, uh, we were talking about this. You know, you know what the gospel is in four simple statement, statements? God loves you. Secondly, you and I have blown it. We've messed up. Thirdly, Christ came to clean up your mess. He paid for it. Fourthly, you and I must believe and receive it. Now, is, is that something we could all say to somebody? And say, look, I, I just want to explain to you that this is the, the essence of the gospel, just the, just the core of what it is. God loves you. You and I have messed up. Christ paid for all of our mess. And you and I must believe it and receive it. That's the gospel. Now, there might be some things afterwards that I got some questions about, and then you, as best you can, give them answers. And if they give you a question you don't have a great answer for, you simply say, I don't have a great answer for that question, but, but I'll, I'll think about it and pray about it, and I'll get back to you. Don't, you don't have to be fearful about questions you can't answer. Just answer the questions you can answer. And what we need to understand about ministry is you have the power to do that even when you don't feel like it. And of course, what's also true, not only do you have the power, you need both, you have the authority and right to do it. And he did that for the, the 12 in 9-1b, but he also does it for us. In Matthew 20, 18 and 20, says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, this is the disciples, and saying, All authority. Because each of us have limited authority, Right? You know, as a, as a parent to my kids, I had, I had authority over my kids. I didn't necessarily have authority over your kids, but I had authority over my kids. But Jesus has authority over everything. All authority has been given to me, in case, in case you're questioning that, in heaven and on earth, in every realm you can think about. And because of that, I'm telling you to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And he goes on to describe, hey, bring them into the faith. Build them up in the faith, teach them everything that you know about me, and then send them out and do it again. So I, I, I just want to plead for all of us. We just need to take that simple way that the gospel got spread in that first century. Let's just, let's just spread it by word of mouth. If you have a great restaurant, you tell people about it. If you've seen a great film, you tell people about it. If you have a great vacation spot, you tell people about it. If you have a great Savior, just tell people about it. Just, just do it because you have the power and authority to do it, and just keep it simple. So what are principles of ministry, number one? We're, we're not all the same. That's okay. Uh, but, but he has something for us to do. Secondly, we have that power and authority to do what he wants us to do. And one of the things he wants us to do is common to all of us is be a witness. We might not have to get the evangelism, but we all have the ability to witness. Thirdly, and now we're going to go through 
actually one whole verse at a time. It is essential to meet needs, but the message is what is most important. Look at verse 2. And he, Jesus, sent them out. This is the ones being sent out, the disciples, to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the message. And to perform healing. Now, if you look at that text for a moment, you might be saying, well, yeah, that seems like it's, uh, it's a balanced one. Uh, proclaiming the message and performing healings were equal in terms of what they were supposed to do. Well, we are, as God's people, to meet needs. And there are a variety of ministries we have in our church that are just meeting people at their point of need. But the reason we, we meet people at their point of need is to, to show the compassion of God and the love of God. But we want to get them to the message. Isn't that true? And the Apostle Paul, who was probably gifted even more than the original 12 to do the miraculous... I mean, he, he, God had given him so much that when he dropped a handkerchief and people touched it, they could be healed. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I could do that, I'd be telling everybody, I, you know, i got a pretty powerful handkerchief here. <laughs> but you know what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2? It's just amazing. We've quoted this verse many times. And when I came to you, brethren, he's speaking to the church at, at Corinth, I did not come with support, superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testament of God. I didn't come to show off by how, how I could speak. For I ter- determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus, uh, Paul is all about the message. And really so is Jesus. When you look at his purpose statement, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to heal everybody. He healed everybody that came in contact with Him. But that was not His purpose. He, he came to rescue people from their sin. And, and really, if you look at John chapter 20, I think it's 30 and 31, uh, the, the miraculous he was able to do, some, one, one of the words for miraculous in the Bible is signs, which is, you know, you look at a sign that's bleaking and it just draws your attention you, and you're looking at it. And he said, look, at, I did these miraculous things to, to draw people to, to the reality that I am who I claim to be. The reason we believe Jesus is, is God is because he said things no one else had said, more powerfully than anyone else had ever said anything. He fulfilled prophecy like no other person. He did the miraculous like no other person. But he didn't come here to do miracles because after every miracle he did in terms of transforming someone's life, whether he healed them from some bizarre disease or even if he raised them from the dead, what did they all eventually do? They all what? They all died. If that's all he did was prolong physical life for a little bit you know, significant period of time or insignificant period of time, in, in comparison to eternity, that was nothing. So he came to rescue people. And if you look at those disciples who had the ability to go out and heal diseases for a period of time, uh, that began to wane just like Jesus. When Jesus left, he didn't do any more miracles in terms physically that he did when he was here. And the disciples, once they did miracles for a period of time, after a while, they stopped doing them. That and with Apostle Paul, you know, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I have that, the verses there. Uh, Peter had an own, his own physical problem. He had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed at least three times, uh, Paul, that he had that, that, that thorn in the flesh, three times that God would take it from him. And what did God say? Use your handkerchief. Is that what he said? <laughs> Just put that handkerchief on that thorn and it'll be gone. Well, no, he didn't get healed. God told him no. But it wasn't just him. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, his personal, uh, he was mentoring Timothy in the ministry. And Timothy was having some physical ailments, and, and he, he cried out to Paul. And Paul said, uh, 
I'm not going to heal that. Just take a little wine for your stomach's sake. He didn't heal Timothy. Or I'm sure what you, who your favorite Bible character, Trophy, Trophimus, Troph, Trophimus. You all know who Trophimus is, don't you? <laughs> He's an obscure Bible character in, um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He was in Miletus. He was a beloved brother in Christ. And, and Paul said, I left him sick in Miletus. You know, it's one thing not to meet a need of, of someone you can't see face to face. If you feel bad, but, you know, I can't help you. I'm not there. Paul was there and did not, and we could probably imply could not, heal Troph- Trophimus. Why? Because God had no longer given him the power to do the miraculous. But what he had given the power to do was proclaim the message. In fact, throughout Scripture, that becomes the emphasis in the epistles. You didn't authenticate a, a person from God because they did the miraculous. You did because they were consistent with the truth of God's word. And that's found in 2 John verse 10. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 verse 8, if someone gives you a different gospel, let them be damned. Why? Because if people believe that, that's what's going to happen to them. And so what was important was the message, the gospel. So what do we learn about ministry number one is that we're not all the same. That's okay. That's a good thing we're not all the same. But we need to remember who calls us. And God has called us to do something for Him. Secondly, that we have the power and authority to, to be what we can all do, which should be a witness for Him. And, and when we do ministry, we want to meet needs. If we can help someone in a tangible way, we want to do that. We should do that. But always at, at the heart of it, we, we want to look for an opportunity to get the message out because that's what's really going to help them the most, right? If, you're gonna, if, you had, if a person had two knees and one was much more critical than the other, which knee would you want to meet more than the other one? The more critical need, right? So the, the message is what is the most strategic and critical way to, to meet a critical need. Fourthly, we've done 1A, 1B. We've done verse 2. Now we're going to do two verses. Are you impressed? Let's look at verse 3 and 4. Then he says, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, uh, stay there until you leave that city. Now, we've spent some time, kind of extended time here, but let me just kind of summarize some things. Okay, he said, I've told you what to do. I want you to be, proclaim my message, and I want you to meet needs as you go, and I'm giving you power and authority to do that, and I'm calling you uniquely uh, to do the miraculous. Uh, oh, by the way, you're, you're going. This is the first time they'd ever gone. I say, when you go, I, I don't want you to check in your luggage. I simply want you to take a what? If you're on a plane, it's a, called a carry-on, right? Now, uh, when you, when you get to a location, would you rather have all the stuff you want or just some of the stuff you want? Come on now, help me out, people. We can start. We, we'd want all the stuff. But he said, you can't bring everything you want. You can only bring a small carry-on. In fact, some of the things on the carry-on are the things you really want or feel you need to have, but you can't take them with you. Now, what's the point here? We, we know later on Paul, uh, Jesus told him, bring everything you want you know, on, on your mission trip. But in here, he said, just take a few things. And you know what he's saying here? He's saying, I, I want you to learn to trust me. When you have little. And then when you have, trust me, when you have little, you might trust me when you have much. It's all right to have a lot, but make sure you're trusting when you don't feel like you have enough to, to do what you need to do. And, and then he also said, oh, by the way, when you go, you, you're going to go uh, to these cities and present the message, and, uh, and you're not going to send reservations ahead. Now, there, there are two types of people who travel. Some people who travel and they go, hey, we're just going on the adventure. We're taking off, and we're going 
we're going to pitch a tent wherever we land, or we're going to find a hotel or a motel that's open, and we'll just stay there. We don't have to send reservations. Those people like the adventure. Looks like and then other people, we're not leaving until every spot has been reserved for us when we get there. Okay. Now, um, I've done both. Uh, one's the adventure, and one is, oh, this is going to be a relaxing vacation, right? He's telling them, look, you're not going to know what kind of place you're going to be in when you get there. And when you get there, someone's going to be maybe nicer than others. But when you get there, just stay there. What's the point here? Sometimes ministry is going to be easy, and sometimes it's what? It's going to be hard. And that's true. Ministry is not always going to be easy. And sometimes you're going to have to trust them more than you've done in other type ministries. That's just ministry. Sometimes you're going to be in a sweet spot, and it's just everything's going perfectly and well. And you're thinking, man, this is awesome. And that's great. If God has extended times where you're in that, that type of a context, then enjoy it. Praise God. Thank God for it. But sometimes he's going to get you out of your comfort zone. If you're always in your comfort zone, uh, just be prepared for a time where he might get you out of your comfort zone. Does that make sense? So let's say, I want you to trust me a little bit more with this, and I want you to realize it's not always going to be easy. Fifthly, and now we're going to do four or five verses, all right? Look at verses five through nine. We'll be done pretty quick. And it's for those who do not receive you as you go out from that city. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Well, if I'm doing what God has called me to do because he's given the gifts for me to do it, or if I'm doing what God has called me to do to be a witness, then it ought to go well, right? This is what God wants me to do. Well, it's, it's got to go well. Well, he's saying that's not always going to go well. You're not always going to be received well. Sometimes you're going to get some rejection. And, and he, he used an illustration. What would happen is the, the Jewish people, if they went into a Gentile location, they so hated Gentiles, they say, I, I don't want cooties from Gentiles. I've got some of their dust on my feet. I want to shake them off so I don't bring anything of theirs with me. And he said, you're going to have that kind of experience. Sometimes you're going to present the message. And actually, you're going to do things that should have been convincing. If I saw people doing all kinds of miracles, I'd probably believe what they're saying. They're going to do the miraculous, and they're still not going to believe. And so sometimes you need to recognize, hey, this, this happened. And you're just going to have to shake the dust and realize they've rejected it. And then he goes on, and you can say, and some people are just going to be confused about this. They continued on preaching the gospel, verse 6, and then, then, then a, a, a leader in the community began to wonder, what's going on here? Verse 7, now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. And we're going to look at why that was so perplexing or confusing to him. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. And Herod said, I myself had John beheaded. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm getting rumors that this guy I put to death has come back from the dead, and now he's doing the miraculous. This is kind of confusing to me. But who is this man about whom I hear such things? They've heard, he heard about Jesus, and he kept trying to see him. I need to see Jesus, but he, he never got to him until Jesus was brought to him at one of the trials. Now, I, I'm, I, we're not making a whole lot of this other than simply this, is that you get the message out, and people are not only going to reject it, they're, they're going to they're be confused by even what you're saying, even though you keep it as simple as possible. How can they miss this? The message of, of Christianity is Jesus. It's all about Jesus, who he is and what he's done. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. You don't have to go to seminary or Bible school. Just talk to people about Jesus. God loves you. Jesus loves you. You've messed up. Christ paid for it. And you must believe and receive it. That was the message. I don't quite get this. There's not much more to get other than God is asking for your whole life to be surrendered to him. And then finally, and we won't talk about this too much, but after they got back, they were totally excited. Verse 10, 
So we'll just actually start with verse 10. And when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him all that they had done. And then taking them with him, Jesus said, uh, let's go get away, withdraw to a city, and that city's going to be called Bethsaida. And other accounts says, you guys have worked hard, now you need a rest. The, the church is not a place where we're, we're, we're calling you to, to, to just wear out for God. That's not the point. The point is that wherever you go, realize God goes with you, and he wants you to be a witness for him. And, and whatever time and abilities and gifts he's given, use it to serve him. I, I didn't show this in the first service, but I, I, I read this. Uh, sometimes a church can be an exhausting place to be in. For some people, it's, they're just watching other people get exhausted. That's, that's the role. Some people are exhausted, and some people are watching people get exhausted. But here's one statement. Mary had a little lamb. twas given for her to keep. But then it joined the local church and died for lack of sleep. <laughs> you know, that, that can happen. You know, people are just too busy. But, uh, you know, there's a place for resting as we serve him. But in the, in the meantime, we want to realize God has given us something to do. He's given us the power and authority to do it. He wants us to meet needs, but he wants us to get the message out. He wants us to realize that we need to trust him, and sometimes it's not always going to be easy. We need to realize that some are going to get it and some people are not. In the meanwhile, give all that we can, but realize the time he wants us to take a break, be, get refueled and get out there again. So I'll leave you with this as we close. Are you following the principles that God has for ministry? Are you, are you involved in God's plan? Are you, are you simply spectating? Are you, are you becoming a participant? Again, we're not looking for you to do what everybody else does, but look for what God wants you to do, and then do it faithfully. Be a witness to the people that you know. And let's get that message out by word of mouth about who Jesus is and what he means to us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can just see Jesus moving his men from watching him do it to, to actually doing it. And that's what we want to do as well. We, wanna, we just want to be part of what you're doing. And we want to do it for the purpose of drawing people to, to faith. And the things that we do that are supportive of what is happening or uh, on the front lines or behind the scenes, help us to be faithful in that. And then help us to, to look for people that we can personally talk to about Jesus. And Father, be there in here this morning that doesn't know you. Might they realize it? it is as simply as understanding that Jesus, Jesus does love them, has a plan for their life, that, that we and everyone else have messed up, and we've got to acknowledge that. And that understanding that Jesus, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and rose again, and, and that we need to come to that point where we choose to believe him and receive him. And we do, then he answers that and comes into our lives. Help us to follow you faithfully. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning.